tuning into the 360th episode of Barbershop Sports Talk with me, your host, Daryl D. Lane, as always. Wherever you are, however you may be listening, I want to thank you for making Man This Show part of your day, as always, whether it be via Spotify, iTunes, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iRadio, SoundCloud, or whichever podcasting app or platform you may be listening to me via being recorded from Buffalo, New York, as always. Happy Thanksgiving to everybody. I'm recording this on a Tuesday night. This podcast is going to air on Wednesday. Uh, many of you are going to be listening to this on Thursday as you're spending time uh, with your friends and family uh, during Thanksgiving. So I want to give everybody uh, happy regards, happy and warm regards, and uh, best of wishes to you and your family. Now, we're going to have Cameron McIndoo on the show. First time ever guest. And we have my friend Connell Crayback, my battle buddy. Connell, I love you, my guy. We're going to have both these guys on, particularly Cameron. Me and Cameron, we talk about a lot of things. We talk about the Bills, uh, going to school in the New England area, Patriots fans. I think we talk a little bit about the Giants stuff, too, since he's from uh, the New Jersey area. So there's a lot of Giants fans from there. And we have a great conversation. It was really fun. Now, before I get to that conversation, I'm going to give my shameless plug. First time listener, thank you, but subscribe and follow right now. Also, share this podcast with your friends and family, whether it be via Reddit threads, Facebook groups, etc., etc. Check on the description below. I will have all the conversations timestamped, so if you want to go to a particular part of the convo, uh, it's for your convenience, specifically on Spotify. You can uh, click on the timestamp, and it will send you right to that part. Subscribe to my YouTube channel, Daryl Lane. I post three to five minute clips of this podcast right here, as well as my syndicate show, outside the shop and follow me on twitter at night train underscore lane i'll say it again at night train underscore lane now with that shameless plug out the way since it is thanksgiving i do want to give a couple of special thanks uh because right it's 360th episode of the show and i don't do this alone i know a lot of times because i'm the only one that hosts this three days a week that and you always hear my voice but i'm far from the only person that makes this thing go uh so special thank you to guys like kenny sums getting expert for 247 sports who comes on for the monday pod to recap everything nfl uh i appreciate kenny's time also i want to thank my good friend ben karen host of the sports father podcast who comes on for every friday episode to preview the NFL and college football. I appreciate Ben as well and guys that come on regularly like Silas, Silas Garrison, the noted LeBron lover of the podcast, uh, a good friend of mine, Scotty Johnson, who I went to school with, that John Carroll comes on all the time to talk basketball. Another kid I went to John Carroll with, Landon Rhodes, big Green Bay Packers fan. He's doing his own thing right now. Has a really good YouTube channel on the road uh, with Landon Rhodes. Landon comes on very uh, regularly. Guys that have come on in the past, like Jason Kavari, uh, really appreciate that. Everybody who's ever come on the show. And, and those are just names that come to mind, right? Obviously, there's 360 episodes, so there's been a lot of people who have come on uh, over the years. But uh, particularly right now in football season, guys like Kenny and Ben, uh, they're really easy. 
really professional, always there, never miss out on me, never, they never skip out on me, which I, I really do appreciate it because there might be times, right, Ben's a married man, Ben has kids, Ben could be like, yo, dear, I don't want to do this pod tonight, but uh, Ben does it because Ben enjoys it, and I hope Ben likes me enough and respects me enough that, you know, he, he likes doing the pod with me, it's, it's same with Kenny, Kenny has a job, Kenny has other stuff that he has to do, and Kenny's right there grinding with me late at night when we do these Monday pods because me and Kenny are both East Coast time. And sometimes uh, I don't get to bed till like 3.30. I don't know when Kenny gets to bed, but we've been on the phone till like 3 before. And Kenny has work in the morning. So like Kenny's a grinder. And I, I really respect that. So when these guys come on the pod, I just want everybody to realize that kind of what goes into the production a little bit. Like it's not always as cut, clean, and dry as you may think. And again, uh, hope everybody's having a great and blessed Thanksgiving. Now, before we get to the camera, Conversation finally, I'm gonna give one of my monologues that my good friend Kenny Sim loves so much. So Josh Allen and the Buffalo Bills have hit a little bit of a rough patch. Josh hasn't played great the last few games against the Jacksonville Jaguars and the Indianapolis Colts. The Bills got blown out against the Colts, which was dreadful, shameful, abominable, horrid, every word you can use. But people are starting to have dumb football guy take. And here is the dumb football guy take that I'm starting to hear about Josh Allen. He's overrated. He's not that good. He's been figured out. He's a one-hit wonder. Those are just bad sports takes. Those are awful. They're putrid. They're horrid. Like, I, I just don't respect those type of takes because they're not the case. And it's kind of like, are you watching the game? Because these are the differences between substance and when people are just saying narratives to make things sound good. None of those things are true. Josh Allen isn't overrated. He's very good. Uh, he hasn't been figured out, and he's not a one-hit wonder. And I know his year last year was super, super good, and it's and he's playing way better last year than he was this year. But things ebb and flow. It's like stock. Stock doesn't always stay the same. Sometimes it can go up. Sometimes it can go down. During COVID, a lot of stocks and certain things, they went down. I'm sure for planes, right? Stock and planes, they went down. Right now, probably up. Go look at the NFL. All these teams lost money during COVID last year when they couldn't have fans in the stands. Right? That's beer. That's alcohol. Those are tickets that they're all losing money on. And you want to know what? NFL franchise, still super valuable monetary-wise. Right? So I think we all look at this, oh, it's not as good of a year as last year. Well, you can't have an amazing year every single year. Right? If you go look at Apple, right? What Apple was worth each year. Right? There's probably ebbs and flows into it, like anything. And Amazon. Not everything keeps going up and up and up and up and up, right? I know numbers are infinite, but everything keeps going up and up and up. Sometimes things fluctuate. Sometimes they stagnate a little bit. That's just natural. That's just the way it works in the world. And when we look at Josh, he's the top 5 to 10 quarterback in the NFL. Easily. In terms of physical ability, he still makes amazing plays. Uh, shrugs defensive linemen off of him in the pocket. He's strong. Uh, makes all can make all the throws. Every single throw has all the arm angles. He can get outside of the pocket. He's one of the best scramble runners in the NFL where he can make these crazy sidearm throws 50 yards downfield on a rope. He's a very good runner of the football as well who can run through contact against linebackers in the NFL because he's just as big as them. Josh is very, very good. And also, we need to put in context into why he might not be playing as well as he is last year. First of all, Teams in the NFL adapt. 
It's not like, oh, Diggs and Josh Allen. They ruled the NFL last year. It was Diggs to Allen, Diggs to Allen. It's not like, oh, all these defensive coordinators in the NFL are saying, hey, let's just let Stephon Diggs and Josh Allen keep dominating the NFL. No, that's not what defensive coordinators do. We saw the Wildcat with the Miami Dolphins in 2009. You want to know what happened? Defensive coordinators looked into the Wildcat. They stopped the Wildcat. This happens all the time. Adapt or die. Defensive coordinators, they choose to adapt. They're going through a rough patch right now where they're figuring out other ways. And also, the Bills don't have a secondary elite playmaker. Dawson Knox is not it. Cole Beasley is not it. Emmanuel Sanders is not it. Stephon Diggs is the only elite playmaker on that roster. He's the only one on the offense. And it's just simple. Also, Josh Allen. He has, I believe, like the fifth or sixth most attempts in the NFL. They're asking a lot of him. They're going shotgun a lot of the time. A lot of times they're going no running back in the backfield. So teams know that the Bills are going to pass. And when defensive linemen, since I played offensive defensive line in high school, when you know that the quarterback is going to keep passing every single play, you start teeing off so you can get upfield and rush the QB. Right? Particularly, the Bills also have a bad offensive line. So they continue to pass. They have a bad offensive line. These the athletic defensive linemen are teeing off on Josh. That's what happened in the Jacksonville Jaguars game. They lived in the Buffalo Bills backfield. And also, a good way to slow down the rush, right? is running the football. The Bills can't run the football because the Buffalo Bills offensive line, they can't block either. So the rush keeps getting faster and faster, especially some of these teams, they can rotate multiple defensive linemen, and then Josh is getting hit silly, hit silly, hit silly. All these guys are in the backfield. He's having to make split decisions. And yes, he'll have a four turnover game against Jacksonville. That's one criticism I will have of Josh. When he gets rattled, he can unravel a little bit, right? I think we saw that in the Houston Texans playoff game a couple of years ago uh, when Josh Allen squared off in Houston against uh, Deshaun Watson. He can get unraveled a little bit, make stupid plays, turn the ball over. But you want to know what? Guys who don't do that are Aaron Rodgers, Tom Brady, even Patrick Mahomes will give the ball up a little bit. And Aaron Rodgers and Tom Brady are two of the greatest to ever play the game of football. They're two of the greatest quarterbacks ever. In my opinion, they are two top five quarterbacks. So lay the freak off of Josh Allen, folks. Lay off him. Not many quarterbacks in the league who are better. And he plays every single game. Kyler Murray, a guy who was in the MVP conversation. Kyler Murray can't play right now. He's 5'10". Buck 85. Playing the quarterback position. Gets banged up. Wears down. You can't play him right now. Josh Allen is a Iron Man. He hasn't missed many games. I don't think he has missed a game with Buffalo. So lay off of Josh. Lay off of Josh. Also, the Bills, since Josh, his second year, playoffs, third year, NFC, I mean, excuse me, AFC championship game this year. They're probably going to be a playoff team again. Those are three straight years for the playoffs. What you want from your quarterback, can you make the playoffs? Can you go deep in the playoffs? We've seen them do those two things. So, yes, it's not perfect right now. There's a lot of different things, a lot of evolving things, right? Like a stock. Everything fluctuates. It goes up. It goes down. It stagnates. That's just life, folks. That's life in the NFL. It's life in pro sports. All these teams are adapting. These teams would get paid, too. So don't say Josh Allen's overrated. Don't say he sucks. Don't say he's not good because that's not the case. He's one of the top 10 best quarterbacks in the NFL. And I will tell you this. He's one of the special quarterbacks, one of the special players in this league. When I look at guys who are special athletically, what they can do physically, running, throwing, throwing off of different platforms, the only guy who is clearly ahead of Josh Allen is Patrick Mahomes, who does it at a level I have never seen in this game before. Patrick Mahomes is like Jesus in that regard. Then Josh Allen is like the next guy. If you're telling me physically talented quarterbacks right after Mahomes, I, I put Aaron in there, but Aaron's a little bit older. But then after that, like it's Josh. 
Josh is a bigger, thicker, stronger man than a guy like Justin Herbert. Bigger, thicker, stronger man than a guy like Kyler Murray. Lamar, he's a better thrower of the football than Lamar. Just plain and simple. He's a better thrower of the football than Lamar Jackson. Uh, Dak, I think him and Dak are similar physically, but I think he has a better arm than a Dak Prescott. So when you talk, talk about talent and ability, there's not guys who are better than Josh. Josh is a special talent. A very special talent. And Buffalo is happy to have him. And all these guys in the national media who keep criticizing Josh are like, oh, oh, Josh isn't that good. And you're only saying that because he completed 50% of his passes when he was at Wyoming. Newsflash, bruh. That was like four or five years ago. Get off that track. Josh Allen is good. So I want to say that many people might say I'm a homer because I'm from Buffalo. I'm really not a homer. I pride myself on being a very spare, uh, fair sports analyst, and I think I am. It's not like I talk about the Bills every day on the show. But I just want to say this because I wasn't always the biggest fan of Josh. I killed him in the draft process. Josh is great. I watch all these games. I think I have a good understanding of all the quarterbacks in the league. Josh is top five to top ten. He's one of the special QBs in this game. If you don't like it, just deal with it. And kind of next, after the break on Barbershop Sports Talk, we're going to have Cameron McIndoo on the show. Kind of next to the break on Barbershop Sports Talk. Oh, we're back with Barbershop Sports Talk, and we have a very special guest with us, a first-time-ever guest, Cameron McIndoo, big sports fan, really wanted to come on, and also my battle buddy, Connell Cravak, only the real ones know. He came on, and he talked golf after Tiger Woods won the Masters, and that had to have been probably two and a half years ago so how are both you fine gentlemen doing this evening daryl i'm doing well pleasure to be here daryl i'm here to talk about josh allen laying out josh allen on the field that's the first time that's ever happened is josh, josh allen's i think one of the most common names though can't be that common it's the like, first like john smith happened. like john smith's the a very common is who is the real josh the one for Jacksonville right now. Exactly. <laughs> so, Cameron, just tell us a little bit because you said you got some stories. I've always got stories. You okay, know, so give, just give us a couple stories. stories. Oh, man. Like, right. Before we get to the stories, let's do this. So, okay. you're from Boston, right? I'm not from Boston. I go to school in Boston. Okay, I'm from so Jersey. You're from Jersey. So, explain now somebody who's born in New Jersey. Yeah. Goes born, to, born in New York. Yeah. Born Crazy. in New Jersey, New York, that tri state area. Yeah, tri state area, sure. Goes to college in Boston, and you end up being a Bills slash Sabres fan. Explain how that works. Um, there were a lot of, I, th- I would say, improbable events that led to that. Um, yeah, I was raised definitely in the New York area. Um, went to grade school, high school, public schools, um, all through in northern New Jersey. Most of my friends, most of my, a lot of my family are Giants and Jets fans. Um, I think what it really was, was, um, you know, I came up to Buffalo a lot. My uh, my uncle lived in Williamsville. When I was growing up, we visited him and, and his three daughters a lot. So I, I spent a lot of time here growing up. Um, and a lot of the time, especially in the fall, we had the Bills on. Bills were usually not 
winning in those days, but just a lot of exposure, I guess. And I think part of it also was, you know, I grew up in the city, and then when I was like six or seven years old, we moved out to Jersey. And there's a part of me that always kind of missed the city and always kind of resented Jersey, I guess. And so, you know, Bills are New York's only team. That remains true. So I think part of it was maybe kind of a, um, a clap back at New Jersey to be a Bills fan, perhaps. But it's very interesting, too, because, like, the Giants are, like, this really proud franchise. Like, I could see why maybe you wouldn't want to be a Jets fan, but the Giants are very proud, right? You have Phil Simms, Lawrence Taylor, the championships. Like, that's, like, a blue-blood NFL franchise. When you think NFL football teams, the Giants are, like, kind of one of the standards you think of. So kind of how did you kind of end up pushing away from that? What specifically made you want to push well, away from that and be like... Anyone who knows me or who knew me before I was, you know, reaching the age of reason knew that I really wasn't that into sports, period, when I was a kid. So whatever sports opinions I had were probably pretty poorly formed or based on one obscure thing that I had seen or that I had heard. So, you know, yeah, sure. Phil Simms, you know, the Super Bowl, 1990. Um... Eli Manning being drafted first overall, leading him to that improbable victory in Super Bowl 42. None of that, I wouldn't have really known about that. I wouldn't have really cared about that. It wouldn't have really mattered to me. Um, I was I was pretty happy with the fact that, you know, Patriots got their asses handed to them twice. That was fun. Um, but, like, uh, you know... I don't really... I, I wish I could give you a definitive memory or a definitive reason how I ended up with the perpetually 6-10 and 10 Buffalo Bills as a kid. I really can't. Um, I really didn't follow the team that closely until like 2017, 2018. Um, so, right when they started getting good. Well, exactly. So, so you claim the treasure. A big part? You can claim the treasure, so now you're with us now. I guess, yeah. No, and I take some responsibility for that. I take some responsibility for the fact that when we were bad, I kind of, I called myself kind of a dormant fan, but I couldn't probably name one player except for, you know, Marshawn Lynch or EJ Manuel or whoever. Um, uh, you know, so I would say I really, the interest for me kicked in probably in 2018 or 19. 2018 obviously was kind of a let down season I think it's fair to say we draft Josh Allen pretty high up in the first round we obviously just coming off of our first playoff appearance in 17 years and uh, I remember thinking alright you know what it's a little bit of a disappointing season but on the heels of season that even if it wasn't that great 2017 was a pretty big milestone in that we did something we hadn't done in my lifetime so from now on I'm actually going to care I'm actually going to pay attention and if it's good, great. If it's not, there's always next season. Here we are. So you called the Bills the real team in New York. Uh, how do Giants and Jets fans feel about that? Like, what's the mindset there about that when they say that? I, I think you would have to ask them. I am not a Giants or Jets fan, so you'd have to ask them. But I, have you ever told one that? I, I tell them that all the time. Okay, what's their reaction when you say that? Well... The team plays in East Rutherford, New Jersey. On Sunday, I'm about to go to a game, actually. I'm about to go to Bills at Jets in Jersey. Um, I don't know what they would say in response because it's the truth. The team pays New Jersey taxes. Most of their star players live in New Jersey. Phil Simms lives in Franklin Lakes. Eli Manning lives in some Short Hills or Millburn somewhere. Um, 
I, I'm sorry. I hate to say it. If any of my family members are watching this and listening to this, I apologize. Giants and Jets are not really New York teams. They they haven't been for a while. Um, so if you're loyal to the state of New York, you got to bring it up here. That's just how it is. Bills Mafia. Bills Mafia all the way. Absolutely. So going to college in the Boston area, how many Patriots fans do you run into? Uh, most, if not all. And there's, there's, there's. I like to actually say there are two types of Patriots fans. Okay. Uh, and you can tell what type of Patriots fan you're dealing with based on what kind of logo they're wearing. There, because there's, because the logo changed. I don't know exactly when. I think around the time Kraft bought the team. So we're talking about probably about maybe mid late nineties. Um, the original logo was this guy with a hat. He's like dressed sort of like Uncle Sam. He sort of looks like Uncle Sam. Maybe you've seen it on yes. really old time. And he's holding the football between his legs. And if you see a Patriots fan wearing that, this is what that tells me. What that tells me is this guy's been around for a while. He was there in 85 when they got blown out by the Bears. He was there in 90, whatever it was, whatever year Drew Bledsoe was drafted, early 90s. He was there through good, he was there through bad. He gets to claim the highs of winning six Super Bowls with Tom Brady, and he gets to claim the lows. So, to me, that's a legit fan. There are rivals, but I respect that. The other type of Patriots fan you see, and unfortunately this is what you see more often, is the kinds where it's like, you know that logo where it's kind of like the red, white, and blue, but it gets thicker, like from left to right, and it's got that little face on the right-hand yeah. side? When I see that, and this is obviously a broad generalization because that is their current logo, so it would be accurate to wear that because their current logo. But there's a lot of people in Boston that call themselves Patriots fans, but really didn't even know the Patriots existed until Brady showed up. Um, and there's also a lot of, you know, loyal Boston fans who stayed with the Patriots even when Brady left. So it's an interesting town. You have a situation now where half the, I, I find things are kind of divided. There are some people out there that are diehard Patriots fans. They actually kind of resent Brady, if anything. Um, but then there are, you, you'll see way more Bucks jerseys on the streets of Boston and Worcester and Providence than I feel like you should. When Tom won Super Bowl 55 earlier this year, there were a lot of people treating it as if the Patriots won a seventh Super Bowl. Um, it was kind of creepy. Um, and I guarantee you, if in 20 years, six Super Bowls later, if Josh Allen signs with the Atlanta Falcons or something, I feel like most of us will not be doing that. But I guess we'll see. So, really interesting. You think that a lot of old school Patriots fans resent Brady? Well, I, I don't think they did when he was bringing them you know, no, but now that he's here. in Tampa, so you think yeah. they so you think it's more hostile, like because you would think there'd be some form of respect because you have to think about where the franchise you was before Kraft, Brady, and Belichick, the trifecta there all got there. Yeah. So yeah. why do you think there is that well, resentment? You would think that there wouldn't be that resentment exactly. You would think that they'd be a little bit thankful for all the success that he brought their franchise. But I think what's happened with Boston fans is they've had so much sustained success with pretty much all four of their major league sports teams, that they've forgotten what it's like to have to actually work for a win, and they've forgotten what it's like to not be considered a perennial contender. And 
Okay, so we all get that news. It was during quarantine. I remember, like, it was during lockdown that Brady's, uh, you know, no longer going to be a New England Patriot. Um, I'm sure for a lot of us up here in Buffalo, and the same could be said for for New York and Miami, um, there were some mixed emotions there. That was a day that we all assumed would come someday. When it hit us in the face, we were like, wow, end of probably one of the greatest dynasties in sports history. Um, Probably the greatest dynasty of the modern era. Probably, yeah, if not definitely. Um, But I think if you're a New England fan, especially that second kind that I talked about, where they're wearing that newer logo, what you see there is you see, hey, wait a minute, this guy that was the whole reason for our success, now he's gone. And instead of backing up your team, there's there's this feeling that, oh, it's all his fault. Uh, we We gave so much to him. We gave him such a great home here in Boston, and he's abandoned us. Um, like as if he owes them another Super Bowl. It's it's a weird. It's hard to describe. And given obviously that sports wise, a lot of my roots are here, aka a town that hasn't seen the kind of um, glamour that Boston has. Um, I think that's weird for us to process because we can't imagine behaving that way. We can't imagine a guy bringing us six rings and not feeling anything but grateful. But come to Boston, in Cleveland are grateful for LeBron giving them that one championship. Absolutely. Absolutely. What I do think is interesting, though, is Bel- it, was, it wasn't necessarily the most mutual divorce. Uh, Belichick kicked Brady to the curve. Yeah, he did. And I think we will never know, I guess not never know, but we don't currently know all the ins and outs of exactly how that happens. I have a theory um, on that. Okay. What's your theory? Robert Kraft and Bill Belichick were going to the massage parlor in Florida. Wouldn't put it past them. That would be consistent with the way I viewed Robert Kraft and Bill Belichick. Well, Belichick is married, so I, I don't want to start those type of rumors. I would hope he's... He the Jacksonville head coach. They saw him now. Well, the Jacksonville coach is married, too. So maybe marriage Andy doesn't teaches, mean what you think it means. And he teaches character classes at Ohio State. <laughs> Yeah, well, Belichick, yeah, Belichick wants to play home. <laughs> Would you take character classes from him? From Belichick? No, from Urban Meyer. No. That's who you're talking about. He teaches character classes at Ohio State. That's literally what he does. Yeah, well, it's, you know, that's why he stays the extra day. <laughs> so, back to you, Cameron. <laughs> I enjoyed that. I enjoyed that. Who do the, you think is I loved think. the most, then, by Boston sports fans, if I'm going to tear this? Kraft, who do you, to what who's loved the most? Who's loved the most? Brady, Belichick, Kraft. That's tough. And like I said, it depends on the fan because Boston right now is very divided and they're trying to figure out how to move forward. There are some people that still absolutely would, would still kiss the ground that Tom Brady walks on in Boston. There are, those people still exist. There are people that are walking, walking the streets of Boston, Worcester, Manchester province with Brady and Gronk Buccaneers jerseys. I'm not kidding. That's like a big thing. Um, but I think, so it depends on the era you're talking about. I think now it would probably be Belichick. I would have to think that Belichick is still pretty universally respected. Obviously, here he is with a rookie quarterback, um, you know, keeping them in the postseason conversation, which I think, to me, speaks to how brilliant of a coach he is. Obviously, that's one of the reasons I hated him so much growing up. But that's a skill, being able to make something out of nothing to that extent. Let's say, though, like, those are the top three. Who would you say is four, Gronkowski? 
Uh, yeah, Bikowski, he's probably up there. Moss, Randy Moss might be up there. Yeah, exactly. Wes Welker, Julian Edelman. Yeah. A lot of those fan favorites. Um, I, I don't know how people feel about Kraft because, for instance, if you ask me how I felt about Terry Pagula, I don't really care about the owners. I feel like the owners don't have that kind of affective... But Kraft is one of the most influential owners. It's probably him and Jerry Jones. Sure. No, he is. He is. Him, Jerry Jones, maybe the Roonies in Pittsburgh. Um, even Ralph Wilson here. Pretty influential for a while. Um, but I don't... Yeah, I don't know. I feel like when you talk to most, like, sort of on-the-street New England sports fans, they're not going to have... They're going to have strong opinions about their quarterback and their head coach. They're not really going to give you the rundown on their owner in the same way. Um, but, I mean, I was there when all the allegations came out with Kraft and Miami and whatever, and obviously that's a totally different conversation. Um, I don't remember there being a lot of feeling that they believed that. There, if, if, if anyone had an opinion, it was probably in defense of Kraft in, in New England. That was probably whatever. Whatever anyone was saying was, oh, he didn't do it or whatever. How do Patriots fans like Mac Jones right now? Seems to me, again, like I said, just like... Um, from what you, to people you right, talk to. Exactly. Yeah, so from I, people I mean, you talk to, to ask, obviously. You have to ask Pats fans. I can give you quite a few Pats fans who come on the show anytime, in fact. Um, I mean, I think the, the feeling that I'm getting is they're pleasantly surprised. Um, I remember a lot of people... More like Mac Jones to the Patriots, really? Because I, I can tell you, I did not see that coming, and I don't think a lot of other. I think a lot of other people didn't see that coming either. Um, but here they are. Look, they're five and four behind what I thought, or what a lot of people thought, were kind of a kind of a good to go Bills team. Um, so we'll see how the second half of the season goes. One game but, back in the standings. Yeah, uh, and if we blow this against the Jets. And New England finds a way to beat Cleveland, which over the course of history is usually what they've been able to do against Cleveland. That's a tough situation for us. So, um, you know, never count out Belichick. Never count out his offensive schemes. Never count out what he's able to do with somebody who's never played a snap in the NFL before this season because he's a rookie. Um, So, we'll have to see. There's a lot of unanswered questions, I think, about the Patriots because... You know, oh, they're on a winning streak, but, you know, of course, probably other than perhaps the Chargers, their opponents could make an argument haven't been the most formidable. So how are they going to do against us? How are they going to do against Cleveland this Sunday? I'm interested to see. So, a lot of unanswered questions, but I think there's some cautious optimism in New England right so now. This is something I've always wanted to know. Somebody, right, you live in the Boston area for a little bit now. Yeah, about four or five years, yeah. You mentioned the hollowed, how hollowed they are with sports in terms of the four major sports, hockey, football, basketball, baseball. Let's say Boston Sports Local Radio. What are people talking about? Like, is it the Red Sox one, the Patriots one, the Bruins one? I can't can't listen to Boston Sports Radio. I, I mean... I, that would be, I feel like that would just be detrimental to my mental health. Oh, why? Oh, do you have any stories why? No, not really. I just, I just, I just can't. What would, what would you, if you were a Boston radio host, if you were, if here, here we are sitting here in Buffalo, New York, if you were a Patriots fan and we were sitting here in Boston, what would, what would you talk about? I mean, I don't know, I guess, because the, the point 
they're at and their conversation is completely different than ours. Um, I would imagine what they're talking about is, you know, how to how to pick up the pieces from a great dynasty being over. Um, but you know, beyond that, um, I guess we'll have to see. Which sports do you think people care most about there? The which teams care are like our number one everybody's hearts if you were to um, rank them all. That's a tough that's another tough question. Well, I'm getting a lot of questions about Boston sports here. Um I, I mean, I think like any like most cities, I shouldn't say all, but like most cities in this country, football is probably number one. Um largely because of their success. I wish I could have been there in like nineteen ninety one. I don't know what it would have been like then, but you see a lot of talk, a lot of hats, a lot of Gronk jerseys. Um, but I that's probably closely rivaled by the Red Sox, just because the Red Sox have so much history, you know? They mean so much to Boston. They mean so much to the entire country. Uh, I was at Yankees-Red Sox, actually, a month ago at Fenway, uh, and that was like a, a, a really, that was a bucket list lifetime experience, really, um, to be at something like that. Um you know, it was the third game, what ended up being, I'm happy to say, a three-game series sweep for my Yankees. Um, it was a sellout crowd. Of course, sellout at Fenway Park only means about 36,000 because it's a much smaller stadium in capacity than most MLB stadiums. Um, I got booed out everywhere I went because I wore a Yankees hoodie. That was fun. You're just walking up, I'm just walking up the bleachers while I'm minding my own business. Some guy goes, hey. Yankees suck. And then everyone starts chanting, Yankees suck, you know. And that, it makes you feel important, you know. It makes you feel valued. Here I am taking up all this mental real estate. Um, and then probably the Celtics and the Bruins. I feel like basketball and hockey often kind of rank lower, depending on where you are. The rivalry between New York and Boston, how big is it? I think it depends on the person, depends on the sport, and depends on what kind of New Yorker you're talking about. Because New York, of course, whatever sport you look at, is going to be divided at least two ways. Uh, and But I would assume like Jets and Giants fans don't like the Patriots, right? Never have, yeah. And the Giants' resentment towards the Patriots kind of interests me. And I'm hoping by me saying this, I'm going to redeem myself with all my Giants fan family and friends. The Giants... Hatred for the Pats has always kind of interested me because the Giants, both times they met the Patriots on a big stage, they embarrassed the Patriots. Both times. Both times the Patriots were favored. Both times the Giants pulled it off. Jets make sense. Jets have been down bad against New England for a while. So were we. I get that. Um, you know, and then I think, I think what, to me, those are all proxy rivalries for I think the original one was probably Yankees, Red Sox. I mean, that one is so much older. That one is so much more history. My grandmother came to this country in 1949, and, you know, like Yankees-Red Sox was a big thing then. It had been for decades. Um, what was it, the curse of a Bambino or something in 1918? Yes. I mean, that's... <laughs> you know, Eli versus Brady is not going to beat something like that. But I think that whatever hatred there is in other sports between New York and Boston is probably a child of that. To some, to some extent, whether people are aware of it or not. Um, but, but then, of course, you have a situation where, you know, the other half of the area, especially you go out to a lot of parts of Queens and Long Island, there are a lot of Mets fans. And 
Well, the Mets fans I talk to don't really care one way or the other about the Sox. If anything, they kind of like the Sox because they like seeing the Yankees get embarrassed. So it's 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 an interesting. It's it's never going to be Eagles Cowboys. I don't think it's never going to be you know Bears Packers. But the New York Boston thing has been around for a while. I don't think it'll go anywhere anytime soon. So what we're going to do is we're going to take a quick break and then kind of next out of the break on Barbershop Sports Talk, we're going to talk some other little tidbits with Cameron kind of next out of the break on Barbershop Sports Talk. with Barbershop Sports Talk and we still have Cameron with us. So Cameron, I want to ask you this now. So, what have been your favorite sporting venues and events to go to over the years? I honestly have not been to many and most of the names that I can give you, I only checked off the list in the last year or so. Went to Fenway a couple times. I I mean, look, I grew up a Yankees fan. I grew up resenting the Red Sox. Uh, we still don't talk about the 2004 ALCS in my household, uh, or my family, I should say, not my literal household. Um, you know, but Fenway is just is just so rich in baseball history, American history. It's hard not to respect that place. It's hard not to feel something when you walk in there. So, as as odd as this sounds, that's probably somewhere on the list. Um, it's a lot better, I think. It's a lot much better experience than the new Yankee Stadium. That would be my hot take. Um, I've still never made it to a game at Foxborough. I've always wanted to. I've somehow still never made, as, as hard as this is to believe, this Sunday is going to be my first Bills game. And that's not even at Ralph Wilson, right? That's going to be down at Giant Stadium in New Jersey. Um, I just went to my first Sabres game tonight. That was a lot of fun. Attendance was a little lacking, but... Sounds like that's a consistent issue at Sabres games. Um, so, Fenway's probably, like, my number one, just for the experience. And, oh, man, to be able to come in there as a Yankee fan and just watch the Yankees just sit on them, that was nice to watch. I, 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 that was, there was some nice shot and fruit going on there, definitely. Why do you think Fenway's better than the new Yankee Stadium? New Yankee Stadium, I don't know. I, I've only really been, like, twice, so I guess my sample size isn't big enough. But it just seems like it's in the same location, but without all the allure. I guess, you know, I, 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 I guess growing up with the old Yankee Stadium, the new Yankee Stadium just doesn't kind of hit the same way. Um, I don't know. It just it just doesn't seem like it was... It was it just feels like it wasn't built properly. I couldn't even give you a particular example or a particular thing, but it just feels like it's lacking. It feels like something's missing. It's just the general feeling you go in there. It's like, well, one of the oldest, wealthiest, most successful franchises in world sports history, and this is their, this really, this is the brand new stadium they built, really? I don't know. You just you just have that lingering feeling when you when you go in there. There's something about it. What have been the best atmospheres you've been to? Stadiums and arenas. 
what were the best atmospheres like you're going there like wow this is electric this is really cool well a sold out Fenway is going to be hard to beat late in the season with postseason chances on the line especially I mean that was probably the most hostile environment I've ever been to can you describe that can you describe that for us yeah sure um, it's packed to the brim, first of all. I, I, you know, you look around and you see a couple of empty seats, and those people are probably there, and they're just in the, in the bathroom or something. Um, and they're bringing it all nine in. Well, not all nine innings. People started to suddenly leave around the bottom of the eighth when it wasn't looking good for them. Some bandwagon fans start slipping out through the back, you know. Um, but yeah, it was just they brought the constant pressure here, and, and I think there's 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 something about sitting in the top of the grandstands, wearing a Yankee hat and a Yankee hoodie, and hearing people say, Yankees suck, Yankees suck. And you, you can hear that louder than you hear the announcer or anything else. Um, there's something about that that makes you just feel so much more in the moment. So in terms of the most hostile, the most, the most, the toughest environment to be in, as an away fan, it would definitely be that. Now... The most pleasant environment I've ever been to would be all across the country at, I guess now, I think it's now called like T-Mobile Park or something. I call it Safeco Field, where beloved Seattle Mariners play. And I'll tell you a story about that. I went to visit some friends in Seattle about uh, three, four months ago this past summer. Uh, They are not from Seattle. They are not Mariners fans. Um, But uh, I was getting the late night train back to where they live. And there were a bunch of Mariners fans on the train. It was packed to the brim. The train stops at the stadium, so a lot of fans that had just come from a game were on board with me. And I remember watching their behavior, and people were happy, people were laughing. It felt like the Mariners probably won. I looked it up later. It turns out they accomplished a pretty wild, like, eighth-inning comeback. They were down by, like, seven or eight runs. They came all the way back and won, like, oh, like 11 to 9 or something. So, so some, some kind of improbable comeback took place. Pretty excited about it, obviously. Positive atmosphere, right? The next night, my friends and I go to a Mariners game. It's against the Astros again. That, that comeback game was also against the Astros. And uh, similarly, we're down. They're down by 5 or 6 going into the ninth. Um, Mariners attempt to come back. It falls short, right? So this time, Mariners lose. And we get on the train, we go on the train, go back to where my friends live. And I'm telling you, telling you, Daryl, the atmosphere was pretty much the same. People are laughing, people are happy to be there. That's like what you call unconditional love for a team. These people, it's like they didn't really care if they won or lost. It, 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 was, it was something I had never really seen before. It was, it was really interesting. It was like, it was the same. They were behaving the same way, and their team had just lost, versus the night before when they won. They didn't care. Yeah, they didn't care. That's Seattle for you. Yeah. They did not care. They truly didn't care about win or loss. That's how That's how I felt, at least. That's... Do you Sabres fans feel the same way, in your opinion, from what you've seen? Well, I was going to say you'd have to ask a Sabres fan, but I guess I am a Sabres fan. <laughs> that's not really fair. Um, uh, what um, it's, it's, it's Well, you kind of took a shot at the so, fans for not showing up, so I had to ask. No, and they and I and I, I I mean here I am sitting in this like beautiful arena and they can't even fill a third of the seats and to me that's kind of unfortunate and that speaks obviously to a lot of things ownership the whole Eichel situation things that I don't feel 
aren't, are unqualified to talk about but at all. everyone should go to the game because if you play the 50-50, the odds of you winning are way higher now. Are they really? Yeah, because there's less people. Huh. He, this guy could have told me that before I game, went to the game, by the way, if I could just say. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, it's it's... My uncle's been in this area since 1993, I think. And he's been pretty much an avid follower and supporter of the Buffalo Sabres since he's been here. And since then, they've given him one heartbreaking Stanley Cup Finals loss. And that's pretty much it. And they won the President's Trophy in 07. But what, what does that mean? What is the President's Trophy worth? You know, if you don't get anywhere after. Um... I think it must be. You would have to think that 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 love for a team like that has got to be similarly unconditional. If he's still here, going on thirty years later, there's something unconditional. And part of it, yeah, they haven't been good in years, so I know right. that. And and you could make the same argument about the Bills, and I don't give myself credit for that for this. Because I mean, well, the Bills stadium's always been packed. I mean, but also it's football, so exactly. Yeah. No football, and of course, I think is a totally different animal than the other three to begin with. Football's value, economically, culturally, is just these days something totally different. Than the yeah, like the Bills are like the lowest worth NFL team, and they're like well over two billion dollars worth. So I mean, and I don't know if the Sabers are even clearing that. I don't think a lot of NHL teams are. My understanding is, and I'm no economist, and I don't even live here, um, but my understanding is the Sabers have been hemorrhaging money for years now. That's my that's my understanding. I don't know if that's true. But they've been having financial problems for a while. The franchise, at least. No, that that would make sense. I could see that. Would you still be a Bills fan if they moved to Austin, Texas? There was talks about that earlier in the year. Well, that's been a question I've battled with myself about since before that conversation came up. Because you might remember that when Ralph Wilson died, a certain future president tried to get in talks to buy the team in 2014-2015. So, uh, you know, the concept of the Bills moving away, either, you know, going to L.A., going to St. Louis, filling the void that the Rams left, going to London, people have kind of talked about that casually for a while. It's it's not going to mean the same, but you have to remember this. I'm not from here, right? I spent a lot of time growing up here. I like to think I have a pretty good working knowledge of Buffalo. I love it here. I love the people here. I have my whole life. But I'm not actually from here. I have never lived in an Erie County, New York address. I'm not from here. So if the Bills move, they're going to continue to be in a city that I'm not from. So how much does that change for me? Probably less than someone like my great aunt, who's made her home on the east side of Buffalo now for almost 55 years. So... I'll probably have to see what everyone I know, all the Bills fans that I know, I'll have to see what they do. I'll kind of follow their behavior. Um, I'll probably have a certain amount of loyalty to the franchise. I mean, I've gone this far, you know. You'd hate to quit now, almost. It's kind of how I feel. Um, but I feel like that would be a game-time decision. Let's let's cross that bridge when we come to it. Kamal, how would you feel about that? As somebody who is from Buffalo. They have you moving to Texas. Interesting. And I, I you know, I, I could do that too. I would, I would send a petition 
to rename the city Buffalo, Buffalo, Texas. And Connell, you even stated that economically it does make more sense because you even stated not to hate on Buffalo, but Austin has way more money than Buffalo. Is that true? Yeah, Austin has way more money. Austin's a developing city. They have the F one races down there. Like it's a way, it's a way better county. Also, too, it's cheaper. And why so can't we can build a nicer stadium for cheaper? Why can't the Bills? Why can't Buffalo do that? Because New York State taxes are crazy, <laughs> and the building costs are out of the, out of the roof. You can go to Texas and you can buy a five bedroom, five bath home, brand new build, four thousand square feet, five thousand square. Yeah, feet. Yeah, with all this land. <laughs> For four hundred fifty thousand dollars, here would be one point five million, easily. Easily. It's such a weird thing to think about, isn't it? The Bills not being in Buffalo, because they the survived that seventeen-year drought, and everyone thought—not everyone thought, but a lot of people thought that they wouldn't make it through. A lot of people assumed that eventually the team would fold, or move, or end up like the Barons and just kind of dissolve. Yeah, well, here's the thing, too. I don't think regionally, honestly. It may, I mean, I get Texas is a big football state. It's a massive football state, actually. But regionally, uh, it doesn't make sense. The state already has two football teams, the Dallas Cowboys and the Houston Texans. Uh, college football is very big there. The Texas Longhorns are in Austin. Most people would probably identify themselves as a Texas Longhorn. You have the Texas A&M Aggies, Aggies yep. as, as well. I mean, Baylor, uh, Texas Tech. Like, you have all these college football schools, right, and college football. And then people forget high school football in Texas is an extremely big deal, too. So there's almost so much real estate to get in a new fan base uh, to where I think that would actually make sense. Where you already have these homegrown fans in Buffalo. I think it would make more sense if they were going to do it to move it to Toronto if they were actually going to move the team. Not that I think they should, or I would even like that. I, I, yeah. No, you can go. Well, no, I I just, I know this is, maybe this is blind optimism on my part. I just don't see them moving. I don't see them. I just don't see it happening. I don't see the Bills organization looking (laughs) us in the eye and saying we're moving the team. And, and... I think there, if this, you know, Allen, Diggs, McDermott, Bean success is sustained over several years of time, I just see that being all the more difficult. So we'll see. I obviously hope it doesn't happen, but I genuinely don't think it will. Because I feel like we've heard this song before, Daryl, you know? We've heard this about, oh, Donald Trump wants to buy the team. Oh, the league wants to move them to London to expand their European market. And the Bills have always been the butt of that, of that, of ever any proposal to have a new NFL team. It was always either, oh, should we do an expansion team or should we just move the Bills to that place? So I, I just feel like I've heard that so many times before. I just at, at this point, it's like boy who cried wolf, boy who cried, we're gonna move the Bills. And in terms of fan attendance, it doesn't make sense. The Bills, the Buffalo has no problem filling seats. Uh, if you want to talk about seats, look, look at the Jacksonville Jaguars. That's a team that doesn't really have a strong fan base. I would also point to the Miami Dolphins. I mean, obviously, we all know in Miami they have awful sports fans. That's a whole other story. Uh, <laughs> they do, yeah. The LA has awful sports fans, too, but I'll, I'll give them a break. Besides the Lakers and, and the Dodgers. We've I don't already think. covered Boston, of course. Yes, yes, yeah, yes, we have. So... What I want to do is I want to take another break. And then kind of next after the break on Barbershop Sports Talk, I want to talk to you about some of your stories. Because you said you had an Eagle story, right? With an Eagles fan. I, I do, yeah. We'll see if it's... I don't know if it's worth the podcast, but I enjoy that one. That's okay. a personal favorite of mine. Yeah, we'll make it a game time decision. Kind of next right. after the break on Barbershop Sports Talk.
Oh, we're back with Barbershop Sports Talk. We still have Cameron with us. So, Cameron, tell us this story about you and this Eagles fan. All right. This is, so first of all, disclaimer. Um, I'm sure a lot of people have stories with Eagles fans in this country. And this is by no means anywhere close to the best one. Um, but I think this is, this is, I just like this one just because of just how random it was and how unexpected it was. I was at a wedding in Charlotte, North Carolina, my cousin got married, um, and there were like a bunch of us, um, and I was sent out to a Wendy's near where we were all staying, the hotel we were all staying at, um, to just get food for everyone. This was like a night before the wedding, or two nights before the wedding. My whole family wanted Wendy's, they sent me out. So I go out to this like Wendy's in the middle of nowhere, um, and uh, there's this guy, I, I go into, I figure I shouldn't do this in the drive-thru because it's like, you know, I've got like 11 hungry Chinese people to feed. So I figure I should probably go in and order rather than use the drive-thru. So I go in and order, I get this uh, guy who looks like he's probably the manager. Um, and I don't know what it was, there was like something kind of off about him. I don't know if he was stoned or what, but I was just, I was ordering and then he was like, Oh, everything everything I ordered was so exciting to him. I was like, yeah, and I'll get a chicken sandwich. He was like, oh, man, you got the chicken sandwich, man? I love the chicken. That's awesome, man. You got the chicken. Like, so it took like five minutes to order because this guy was just so excited about everything I got. Um, and, and then he introduces himself. After I pay, he's like, by the way, I'm Phil. They call me Philly because I'm from Philly. And I was like... Hey Phil, like I'm I'm Cameron. Like I didn't really know what to say. Uh, and I was like, "You're from Philly?" He's like, "Yeah, yeah, I'm from Philly." And I was like, "Oh, cool. You know, fly Eagles, fly." That's all I said. And it was like, he was like so he was stoked that I said that. Um, and I was like, "Yeah," and I added to it. I was like, oh, "Maybe this guy, you know, let's see what happens." I was like, "Yeah, you know, I actually watched uh, whatever Super Bowl it was they won. So at the time, it would have been." like two years prior. So Super Bowl 52, I think. Is that the one that the Eagles beat the Patriots Philly special? Um, I was like, yeah, you know, I was in Boston for that. You know, I was rooting for the Eagles. I was really happy that you guys won. And, you know, the city was pretty sad that night, but I was, you know, on your side. And he goes, hey, for saying that, free round of Frosties for everybody. Um, so anyway, in my family, if anyone wondered why I came home with like 10 free soft drinks, it's because of Philly from Philly up at I-77 in Cornelius, North Carolina. Um, Do you have any other stories? Oh, that one didn't... You see, you didn't like that one. He no, no, I'm no. Okay, I apologize for my story, not quite. Um, I'm sure I do. I'm, I would have to think... I have a lot of... I have a lot of weird stories of weird things over the years that Patriots fans have said to me for wearing, like, a Bills hat in public. Um, oh, give us a couple of those. Yeah, I'm trying to think. I mean, I've gotten a lot of, and this didn't really happen my because my so my I, I matriculated to Northeastern. I go to Northeastern in Boston. I matriculated in 2017. 2017 was the season that you know we kind of bounced around with Nathan Peterman. Somehow made the playoffs. Obviously, didn't really get anywhere in the playoffs. But the fact that we made it, obviously, as you remember, is a big deal. But I don't think anyone, and certainly I didn't 
no one really viewed the Bills as like a long-term threat at that point. It was Sean McDermott's first season. They were still figuring it out. There were still a lot of kinks to work out. Um, 2018, obviously, just was kind of disappointing. That was 2018 was probably the season that I started kind of getting back on the getting back on the horse and really sort of following the team. So no one really had much to say to me. I, I would say late 2019, 2020 was when the comments came in. People would go, oh. You know, a bus driver would see me wearing a Bill's mask or Bill's hat. He'd be like, oh, ha, ha, you know, I shouldn't let you on the bus or whatever because you're, you know, a Buffalo fan. It, it was interesting. It almost, it, you know, the events in the last year or two, I think, for Patriots fans reignited this dislike for Buffalo that they had kind of forgotten about and ignored since the Jim Kelly, Marv Levy, Thurman Thomas, Andre Reid days. Um... Because it had been so long since the Bills were any real, meaningful, perennial threat to the Patriots. And all of a sudden, we're back, baby, you know? And so I think there was a lot of resentment for that. Um, but, yeah, it's I, I, love, I love wearing my Bills hat around Boston. I love it. I love the looks that I get. I love the comments that I... Because there obviously aren't many of us, right? I mean, you take out the Buffalo area, there are not really that many Bills fans. There are so many, like, Dallas Cowboys fans in this country. There are so many Pittsburgh Steelers fans in this country. There are so many Oakland Raiders fans in this country. You take out this region, there aren't that many of us. Um, so it, it catches people's eyes, I think. Um, which I've always been amused by. In terms of teams in the AFC East, as a Bills fan, which ones do you hate most? Not even close, Patriots. Oh, why is it the Ford Patriots? Because they were the only ones that were good. They were the only ones that were legit. You know, Dolphins, I guess they won that division title that one time. With the Wildcat. Yeah, they've made cameos in the postseason since then a little bit. Um, the other thing is, to be fair, I also have a ton of family in Miami. So I've always been, and none of them really follow football, but I guess that's always made me somehow sympathetic to the Dolphins, I guess, just because of that. Um, and I also think the Bills and Dolphins share a very common struggle. You know, we've kind of just been locked in a division that was just dominated by the same team and the same guy for pretty much my whole life, my whole mem- memorable life. So... I've, I've always kind of felt for Dolphins fans a little bit. Once it gets to a point in the season where I don't feel like they're a threat, I'll usually root for the Dolphins. Obviously, rooted them for for them last night in their upset win over Baltimore. Um, the Jets, I don't know. I don't really hate them. I don't really resent them. I kind of laugh at them. I know that's terrible to say. I don't take them seriously, and I think they could win five Super Bowls. This Mike White guy could bring them five Super Bowls in a row, and I still wouldn't take them seriously. They're the Jets. Just because of the butt fumble? Yeah, maybe because of the butt fumble, but the butt fumble to me encapsulates an an entire history of, you know, draft busts, bad play calling, blown potential, bad trades— it, it encapsulates the way that their franchise has gone for as long as most people can remember, I guess, unless you were alive in 1968. Um, you know, there's a good quote. John Boyce from Secret Base has a really good quote about the Jets. He says, uh, the Jets don't play football. Uh, football just sort of happens to them. 
<laughs> and I think there is something to be said for that. They're just never in the conversation. It's not because they don't have good players. It's not because they don't have a quarterback putting up good numbers. Over the years, they have. But for whatever reason, they just can't find themselves in a situation where they're ever taken seriously for an extended period of time. Um, and I don't know. Even in years where they did better than us in the AFC East, and there were, as, as I'm sure you remember, there were quite a few years like that, I just, they were just never legit to me. And I don't think they ever will be. They, were all, they will always be the New York Jets. They'll always be the Jets. If there's no other way to say it. They will always be the Jets. What have you made of the Bills season so far? Obviously, they've had a few disappointing losses now. What would yeah. you make of them in their season? Yeah, I mean, obviously, I'm talking to you on the heels of, you know, 9-6. And I think the 9-6, you talk about... People six nine, six six nine. I guess, yeah. Nice. Don't make any um, inappropriate jokes, Colin. Huh? I didn't make any jokes. I'm yeah, Colin. Yeah, pork. What are you doing? The con- con- I know what goes on here. in Colin's mind. Right in his own business. Yeah. I meant the other six nine. Nice. Anyway, <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, I think nine Trevor six. Lawrence likes it. He did. He would like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, his team won. Oh, like I meant that. like the rapper six nine with the star on his face. Yeah, it was just me and the score six nine for the last game. Oh. Um, but so to me, that's self-explanatory, right? You've got what people are calling it the most potent offense in the league, and they're scoring nine points against the Jacksonville Jaguars. Um, you know, just so many sacks, so many turnovers. And it's just kind of like, how, how creepy was it that the guy most responsible on their defense was also called Josh Allen? I kind of vaguely remembered, because I've watched a few Jaguars games over the last year. I've seen Josh Allen before. I had a, you know, I knew they'd probably be playing together. People might make comments about the. I did not expect Josh Allen to completely dominate our Josh Allen. That was just, that was just crazy. That was just unnecessary. So, that's really disappointing. Um, you know, there were a lot of things that went into that loss. Um, it is just one game, though, right? We play 18... We play 18 weeks, 17 games a season now. Um, you know, unfortunately, or fortunately, depending on how you look at it, uh, this Sunday, the game I'm going to go to at Jets actually matters now more than it probably would have before. Um, and that's okay. We'll see how we perform. Um, you know, I think it's, it's, it's when, you're, when you're at week nine, you're at the point where you can start to assess how a team's done but you don't really have quite enough definitive evidence yet. I still have a lot of unanswered questions. I, you know, when was the last time any of us saw the Bills locked in a really tight, really close game and with a combination of good play calling and good luck came out the winners? Because it feels like every time we win, we blow out the opponent. Every time we lose, it's either a heartbreaking last-minute loss or we get blown out. I can't remember the last time we were the ones, you know, coming out victorious in a close game. I want to see that. I think that would be that would be a really interesting test for our offense. If we're able to, you know, if Josh Allen's able to lead. I, I, I remember the last time I saw him lead a serious game-winning drive late in the fourth quarter. I think if we were able to do that, that, you know, that could provide some momentum. So we'll see. The problem is, though, our O-line is so bad that we can't do that. That is impossible for us to do this year. Yeah. No, it's 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 not the best situation. 
Uh, and I think the O-line has a lot of questions that they're going to need to answer themselves. Obviously, they got a lot of credit for the way they performed last season. They need to apologize to Josh Allen. That's what they need to do. You know who we need is that guy from the Miami It's Dolphins. like having a security guard. It's like having oh, a security yeah, guard, guy. and the security guard lets you get robbed. It's like, what's the point of having we a security guard? We need that guy number 89 from the Dolphins. He should yeah, be our running yeah. back. No, that guy was and, – and that was great. You, you, I assume you saw that highlight, the ineligible, the clearly ineligible receiver. Just make monstering down the field. Yeah. I mean... No one would take him down. Yeah. I think he should be the new logo for the Dolphins. I mean, He is. Yeah. He He's should. on the elevator. They put him on the elevator in the Dolphins. That's good to see. I'm glad to see that. That's what I wanted. Um, but no, look, the AFC is insane. Well, good, a good friend of mine uh, is a Steelers fan, and we're just talking about this this morning. You know, in one week, a team that's first in the AFC North could, could be fourth and vice versa. AFC West is a similar situation. Um, AFC is so tight right now. There are so many unpredictable factors. No matter what happens, no matter how you cut it, there are going to be tons of very good, very contender-worthy AFC teams that are not even going to make the playoffs. Um, and so we'll see. We're going to have to work harder than we did last Sunday to earn a spot in the postseason. It's never given to you in this league, you know? Um, it's never been given to us. Bills are not exactly famous for good luck over the years. Um, it's nerve-wracking to be only half a game ahead of New England. I think we all feel that way. I think we all have that anxiety. But, you know, we'll see. What, what do head coaches say? They, they say, you know, our goal is to be 1-0 this week. So let's be 1-0 this week and work from there. Cameron, thank you for coming on the podcast, man. I appreciate it. Pleasure's been mine, Daryl. Great to talk to you. And once again, I want to thank Cameron McIndoe for coming on the pod. First time ever guest. Really appreciate it. Loved the conversation. Uh, thank you, Cameron, for coming on. I really enjoyed it, and I hope to have you on again next time you're in Buffalo. Also, I want to say thank you uh, to one of my best friends and my battle buddy. I love you, my guy, Connell Crayback, uh, for bringing Cameron uh, so we could get this pod done. I appreciate Connell as well. And that's my guy for life. And I want to thank all of you guys for tuning into this episode. The 360th episode of Barbershop Sports Talk. Loving can hurt sometimes